Welcome to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, I'm Fraser Allen. Welcome to episode 37. I was chatting to today's guest at a Scottish Business Network event a year or so ago when somebody wandered up, introduced himself and asked what John does for a living. His response was, mainly lunch. What an excellent reply, I thought. And so when I arranged to meet John Newlands, it seemed only appropriate that our discussion should be recorded over lunch in the City of London. A very pleasant affair indeed. Apart from his lunch activities, I'll leave you to discover what John does do for a living. Suffice to say that his career has taken him to Brazil, where he became friendly with the great train robber Ronnie Biggs, and to Cuba, where he insulted Fidel Castro for his choice of Cuban whiskey. John is splendid company and I think you'll enjoy this. The food and wine were excellent too. Cheers! John Newlands, good to see you. Here we are in a restaurant somewhere in the city and uh, you're somebody that I've met through the Scottish Business Network and you're always very much at the heart of activity there. Uh, very, Very charming, friendly person who always asks very intelligent questions at some of the business sessions that we have there and so we've decided to meet up over lunch and find out all about you because I don't I know very little about your your life and your, your career to date so that's what we're going to do and there may be some interesting background noises of cutlery and clinking of glasses as well. So John um, where did life begin for you? Um, by all accounts reliable accounts, life began in Edinburgh. Cheers, you're very good health and thank Cheers. you for coming yeah. to lunch in the city, my which as everyone knows is my middle name. <laughs> um, one of the luxuries I can't do without is dry cleaning and lunch. Well they're not really luxuries, they're essentials. essentials I yeah. So I was born and raised in Edinburgh, an Edinburgh boy. Um, I went to a minor public school. My parents are very grateful to them for making sacrifice to fund it. And when I was about 11 or 12, because there was about a quarter of the school intake who were boarders and there were posh boys from England or overseas, I said, John, why do you speak in that ridiculous accent? And you got spots. And I thought, great, I'll sure use So overnight, I deliberately changed my accent. Now it's natural. But people think you're not Scottish at all, are you? Making it up. And I said, well, actually, I'm a descendant from Robert Burns on the wrong side of the blanket, illegitimately. So all right. how well, much more Scottish point. do you want me to be? <laughs> so Scotland's my yeah. run through yeah. everything. Yeah. So did, did you... What, I mean, what did, what did you dream of doing when you were at school? Did you have a plan for your I did. Um, <clears throat> I got a gold star for writing the best six-year-old essay, which was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I had aspirations to become a top, a top brain surgeon. Ambitious. My father was medic, and my sister turned out oh, okay. to be a medic, but I wanted to be a brain surgeon. And I wrote an essay, and I said, I want to be knighted for my services to medicine, and I then want to become Sir John the Surgeon, and my teacher congratulated me on my alliteration, gave me a gold star. Even then, I had posh taste. I said I wanted a Bentley, not a Rolls Royce, but a Bentley. I knew the difference. And I wanted to make my grandmother proud of me. Fortunately, I wasn't very good at sciences, and I didn't even take O-levels in, other than biology. 
so my medical career was sadly cut short. But you, you were obviously you obviously a good writer, and uh, you had a sense of vision about you. I can write, yes. Mm-hmm. I probably yeah. need to be locked up, which is probably going to happen <laughs> one day for a considerable period of time to write my memoirs, which will be how to lurch from one crisis to another but still manage to do lunch. <laughs> That's a, it's a long title, but an excellent one. I mean, it was, I can't remember the exact quote, but Winston Churchill came up with a quote about the, the essence of success is picking yourself up after each fader and moving on to the next next project, which I think is probably very true. So, so you he also said, if you're going through shit, go faster. So that's also one of my bosses. <laughs> so you left you left school. What what next? Uh, left school, took some time off, travelled around Europe, had some fun, uh, worked as a room service waiter in a very was, I mean, pe- People these days, you know, regular, routinely travel around Europe or yes. the world after school. Yeah. But that was probably quite an adventurous thing to do. It was, because I was barely 17, I think, and got a rail pass, spent three months in Munich actually earning some money, the mighty Deutschmark, as a room service waiter in a very posh hotel, Hotel Fiat outside in Munich. And then that funded the rest of my travel, and I felt quite affluent. I thought, whoa, well, what could go wrong? I can always make money being a waiter. Maybe I'll have to resort to that one day. Uh, so I did that for a bit, then went up to university, to Oxford. don't know why. I kind of cheated to get, get in, but it was an intelligent cheat, I have to say. Well, what was that? What did you do? Well, I went in what was called modern studies. I was good at English, and I was good at French, not so good at German. And so I went in English and French, but with a view to doing modern languages. And the English was fine, and the French was mostly fine, but it was a paper which was three different uh, components. One was André Gide, I knew everything about it. One was Balzac, no problem. And the third piece, and you had three hours to do three answers, was on some remote, highly obscure medieval French poet. Didn't know who it was, I didn't understand a word of it. He said, I thought, oh my God, I flunked it, I'm out of here. So I spent two hours, 55 minutes, writing about what I did know about Balzac and Gide. And then I, on a fresh piece of paper, I started the line saying, and the alliteration in this poem clearly illustrates da-da-da-da-da, five lines, full stop. As if to give the impression that inadvertently I'd given, I'd thrown away the rest of my papers, <laughs> hoping that I would be invited for interview, which I was. And by then, of course, I was absolutely word-perfect with this. <laughs> very obscure French medieval poet. Guess what? I was never even asked. Which goes right. to show that the Oxford examiners or any examiners either don't read the copy that they were mm-hmm. given or we take people on the basis of Or your first two answers were very, very good. Or you know? maybe that mm-hmm. outweighed my gibberish on the last one. Yeah. So, what was the Oxford experience like? Uh, city of perspiring dreams. Um, First year we were all in college. I didn't know that St John's was, uh, I'm not homophobic in any way, but it was the biggest gay enclave in the, in the, in the world, probably. Didn't realise that so much. Mates and I, we moved outside on the second year. We found. Yes, you ready to order? We are, we thank are. you, yes. Thank you very much. Um, you're not really going to the port. I'm afraid so, yeah. No, I know not, we're in a steakhouse, but I'm. Have a starter, Fraser. Well, um, I'm thinking of crab yeah. salad, actually. Well, is crab salad the, uh, good? Oh, yes, it is. Stupid <laughs> okay. crab salad. One of those. I'm going to have the uh, I'll have the chicken liver tart in that case. Chicken liver tart. <coughs> mm-hmm. And, and you go for the crab one? Uh, crab to start with, yes, yeah. please. And may I have... What would you recommend to the ribeye and the sirloin? 
Everyone is going for the ribeye. Personally, I prefer the sirloin, actually. I think it's more I think more it's lean. more tasty, yeah. I think sirloin. Sirloin, yes, yeah. And may like I have uh, a rare, 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 please, with mac and cheese. Mac and cheese. Yeah. And, and, and truffle hollandaise. And the hollandaise, yeah. So, sides for you. Some, uh, some skinny fries or yeah well you know what I'm going to have some skinny fries that is yeah. a good show and maybe trouble you also for a bottle of Primitivo mm-hmm. thank you <laughs> moved to this ancient farmhouse in Abingdon it's only five miles out of Oxford had an idyllic second year because you don't do much work um, one of our housemates was um, sadly no longer with us um, Nick Hawkins Bias and his sister, gorgeous sister, Philippa Hawkins Bias, were heirs to the Gonzali Bias Tio Pepe oh. fortune. Mm-hmm. So we had sherry on tap, we had a couple of crates of champagne every term, we gave the best parties, we had a paid garden, it was gorgeous old farmhouse, and it cost us £7 a week each. Stunning. So not much work got done that year. Well, it sounds like heaven. It was, yeah. it was absolutely beautiful. <laughs> But you, uh, so, what, so that was your second year, third year? Third year, I took off because uh, I was studying French and German. No, I dropped the German in favour of philosophy at that point. But French was, was the major. And I went to work in Paris as an assistant teacher right. uh, in the lycée, mm-hmm. where I met Mrs. Newlands. Wow. And really? oddly, against all the odds, Mr. and Mrs. Newlands are still married 40 years Amazing. on. Amazing. She was uh, teaching, yes. Yeah, yeah. And then we took a bunch of school. So is she, is she French? Or? She's Franco-American. Right. I don't know which is the redeeming feature of the other, so a natural hedge. But she's a good lady. Probably needs to be canonised, married to me. That's super. Thank you so much. <laughs> so that was, I mean, that was good fun, that year off in Paris. Can you take a taste? Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yep. Lovely. Thank you very much. And again, that was a delightful year in a nice place with kind of probably love in Paris, being paid to do very little at all. And I did translation, good money. I thought, what could go wrong? I I could be a waiter, I could be a translator, lots of options of it. This is is, uh, so far sounding like the most idyllic life ever. So far, so good. Yeah, 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 excellent. So, you know, I I dare say there will be some some ups and downs at some point. So, what, back to Oxford then to complete the degree? Then that was less amusing because all my contemporaries obviously had gone. Hmm. They weren't studying languages necessarily. So I had to sort of graft a little bit, uh, moved in with different people. But it was okay and got through that. But it wasn't my most fun year. And then joined Bank of America because, you know, in Oxford you do the milk run. And in your second term, in your last year, people come to interview you. And I thought, I want to join the Foreign Office. And I was very disappointed I didn't. I think it's the only exam I've ever failed. I failed it by just one point. And then I thought, that's odd. I thought I'd written really well. And what had actually happened, I'd written a piece about the miners, and it was very political, Mm. and it was actually damning the government of the time, which kind of made the Home Office think that I was a dissident, which I probably was. I was a rebel. And they gave me 0 out of 50 for that paper. I only need one point to be... Because I want to be... I wanted to be actually British ambassador to Sweden, to in Stockholm. That was actually my aspiration at that point. And a dear friend of mine actually got Why? the job, Sir John Grant. Why? Because you've got diplomatic immunity, giving great parties, gorgeous women in Sweden, 
freak me out. <laughs> Booze on tap. When you put it that way, what yeah. could go wrong? Mm-hmm. But that didn't quite so work. So it didn't happen. So. I ended up joining Bank of America hmm. because they offered a very interesting training package. They offered a whopping £3,800 annual salary for a graduate trainee, which is more money than I'd ever contemplated. And, um, and I stayed there for three years. So what were you actually doing there? I was. Uh, Bank of America well, then was, according to Forbes magazine, one of the best five managed corporations in the world and was the biggest bank by any measure. Mm. And I was, I ended up assistant vice president of what they call the non-durable goods and services. What's that? It's commodities, soft mm-hmm. commodities. Right. So I'm in charge of portfolio of coffee, sugar, and cocoa clients, right. secondarily oil and uh, metals yeah. and a few other bits of work. So it's all about trade finance and the real nuts and bolts of financing, and I loved it. So then I went to my employers back to America, who were very nice to me. And I said, right, I'm leaving. He said, what? What do you mean you're leaving? You've only been here three years. I said, well, I'm going to take another job. I said, John, you speak fluent French. We've earmarked you to run our Paris office. He said, well, that's all very flattering, but I'm going. So, oh, who are you going to work with? And I said, a commodity trading company is my client, my favorite client, EGNF Man, the Man Group. Whoa, they're down at Sugar Key, aren't they? I said, they are. So you're going to work there? I said, no. I said, I'm going to work in Brazil. I said, hang on. You're leaving the biggest, best-managed bank in the world, complete security, to run a commodity, really highly, high-risk, scary, <laughs> scary commodity company, and you're going to Brazil, third world. I'm 25. I can take risks. So that's what I did. So you have a real taste for adventure now. We're starting to yeah, discover. So Brazil... Which is obviously a, a, a rapidly growing e- economy now, but must have been a very different proposition then. Um, so, what was what was it like when you stepped off the, the plane in, in where Rio? Hot, <laughs> humid, uh, but gorgeous. Something goes up your nostrils, and it's, I just love it. It's, it's, um, it's an intoxicating place with beautiful people. Okay, it can get dangerous. We know that, and the reason it gets dangerous is because you've got this collision. This colossal conflict between rich and poor. So you've got to pretend you've got no money. Well, for me, that's quite easy because I don't pretend to hang on to it for very long. But it was delightful five years of one's life. I travelled all over Brazil. We had two of our three children there. They have Brazilian passports, they're very proud of them. Um, most of us still speak the language. Um, I went completely native, actually. So you, you flew in Portuguese? Completely, yeah. even, even yeah. now. Right. It's stronger than French, which yeah. is kind of a domestic yeah. language. So it's very much in my heart. Um, so where were you actually were you in I was living Rio? in Rio, thank goodness. Huh. I remember after two short weeks, my wife woke me and said, oh my God, you're having a terrible nightmare. What happened? I said, oh my God, I dreamt we'd be posted to Sao Paulo. I couldn't stand the possibility right. going that smog ridden, hugely populated metropolis. Hmm. But no, Rio, which is clearly not a place to do business, but it's a awfully good place to have a lot of fun. <laughs> and did, uh, did you run into uh, uh, some spots of trouble? Ran into uh, V, yeah, most of my friends. We were quite lucky, actually. I did run into Ronnie Biggs. Oh, did you? you remember the, yeah, 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 the train robber. It was very funny. I had a very posh friend, sadly he's dead now, Fred Packard, who ran a thing called Banco Garantia, very, very prominent. And then he bought a brewery. So this man was made an awful lot of money. And he had what was then one of, uh, he had an apartment in what was then the most expensive real estate in the world, Le Blanc Beach in, in Rio. 
and his mother, very posh, and his parents come to, to stay. And we, my wife and I, were invited to supper. And uh, Mrs. Packard said, um, Freddie, I'm going to pop in and make a cup of tea. Where, where is the Empregada? Where's your, your, your maid? Oh, I gave her the night off tonight, Mum. Okay, I'll make it myself. She goes to the kitchen, she's making tea, and she turns around, and there's Ronnie Biggs knocking up a bit of carpentry in the kitchen. And she's so shocked, she drops the tree, <laughs> goes back to Freddie, we're all having supper. She said, Freddie, you're hardly a criminal here, what's going on? Very funny. He's so a he's really nice man. Odd jobs around the house. He's a carpenter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he's, he's gone now as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But he was a nice chap, and his son was a big pop star. Well, of course, Ronnie Biggs uh, also uh, recorded a single with the Sex Pistols very controversially in the Correct. 1970s, which Correct. I think the, the video was well, recorded well, in, yeah. in, in Rio. Um, well, so you, it sounds like you had an amazing time. How did the, the work? You enjoyed the, 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 the I, I work? I did work hard, yeah. but yeah. it was not. So I had a lot of fun. <laughs> a lot of travelling, because Brazil is such a huge place. The only regret is that we never really went outside of Brazil. I've never been to Argentina, for example, which is, I've got to put right. Um, but it was a lot of work. We were sugar, major sugar exporters um, as part of the man group. We had two coffee plantations, one of the biggest single-unit plantations in the world, which was a complete and utter disaster. It was an A, Bahia, where they grow cocoa, not coffee. B, I won't mention them because the public names weren't very good partners. So everyone was ripping, ripping us off. And C, more importantly, it didn't rain for seven years other than 15 years. And with coffee, if you have no water, if you have a drought, there's nothing you can do. Irrigation doesn't work because the water is saline. Mm. So it was probably the most expensive as well as the biggest um, coffee plantation in the world. So it didn't go well. So what brought you back to back to the UK, I or did you think, venture elsewhere? Uh, I had an opportunity to go to Hong Kong, and I nearly cried when the chairman vetoed that because I really wanted to do that. That didn't happen. I ended up coming back to London. I think largely because Rio was just getting too violent. And all of our friends had problems. We, a couple were shot, not not fatally, um, and we thought, okay, it was young children, it's just mm. not a place to be, so let's come back to them. Yeah. I was disappointed because I, I would have stayed in Rio forever with great pleasure, I think. So were you still working for the same Same, same organisation. Yeah. Okay. Uh, moved into sugar from coffee. Uh, well, it was coffee, then... It, it's all in the last... It was a 20-year spell directly or indirectly but even that man in coffee or sugar and the sugar became a, Cuba, a huge Cuban fascination which is my favourite island obviously after the one which we inhabit um, had lunch famously with Fidel Castro you did yeah. Story, yeah. yeah 1999 he was hale and hearty he'd how, given up how did cigarettes. that come about well we were kind of 1999 Cuba was really poor it was kind of on par with Haiti it had no resource mm. to speak of anything of any value was shipped for foreign exchange so you couldn't find lobster or decent fish and shipped out and the only friends they had the Americans obviously embargoed them the Russians had dumped them the Europeans around them were the Canadians and the man group and we put together financing structures and we'd off take maybe half a million a million tons of sugar a year mm. and uh, so it was I think it was the sugar biennial sugar convention and there were about 20 of us from London, mm. including natural Spanish speakers. I've never learned a word of Spanish. I understand most of it, Portuguese, but I didn't really speak it. 
and we had this big dinner. The, the lunch was ghastly. The food, sorry, Fidel, if you're not dead. <laughs> the food was appalling, quite awful. Okay. And then Fidel, bless him, stood up and gave a homily for about an hour and a half, which is kind of him because normally you can go it's on quite for seven short, hours. Exactly. Yeah. I've heard him in Grandma Square going for seven hours. And most people were dropping, dropping off into their soup, grotesque, mm. because they didn't understand a word. I managed to sort of pay attention. And then he clicked his fingers, summoned a lackey, and the lackey duly positioned a tumbler in front of each of the guests. I said, bring on Becky Havana. I said, old Havana, what's that? And it turned out that old Havana was a proprietary version of Cuban whiskey. And everyone was like, viva la Presidente, viva la Republica. And everyone toasted the, 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 the health of the nation and its president, except one person. One. And I was about five spaces away from Fidel. He had his cabinet there as well, five cabinets. <coughs> he said, He said nothing. And I was a little bit tremulous. He's a big, big, tall chap with ferocious black eyes. And I lamely explained my father had been part of the Scotch Mall Whiskey Society. I was Scottish, but frankly, <laughs> this is mediocre. I'm sick to your rump. Words are gone. You think, I'm just waiting for the straw-covered abyss to come and swallow me up, my big boss man. Oh, God, why bring Newlands along? Such a loose cannibal. That's it. I can hear the rifles being cocked in the backyard. I've just assaulted a modern-day dictator in his own villa. That's the end of days. But after ten seconds had elapsed, which when he was maternity, he said, In fin, mon hombre honesto, last and honest man. A bit like Emperor's New Clare. Bring on the yeah. club. It's a rubbish. And I think we got a, a half million. Thing to do. I think we got a half million ton contract out of that, and that <laughs> I was still waiting for my commission. So, I did. Why, were you saying that just because you like to be? Because that's just what you thought. Would you like to be a little bit contrary and just throw yeah. a grenade in there and see what happens? I, I do. I, I like to be a little bit mischievous. I'm a bit of a rebel. I'm actually naturally very shy. So the way to overcome shyness is to become slightly extroverted and say dark things that even I don't expect I'm now taking myself by surprise well I've never thought of you as a shy person no I don't appear that way I think it's because my mother I remember having this comment a long long time ago I said I'm sorry oh no you can't be shy John that's a form of vanity what does that mean I said well if you're, if you're, if you're shy it means you're vain how well it means you're frightened of showing your real persona mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a it's true it's a theory the mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A bit like my English accent. Mm. I'll show them. Mm. So I became an expert very next So you're the man that told Fidel Castro that his, his drink wasn't up to scratch. <laughs> refused to salute him. So that, that's incredible. So what's um, so what, the next stage in your career then? So did you, what happened up next? Um, so that was all fine. And then uh, I had the opportunity to run an aimless educational company. And I thought, this is it. This is what I've always wanted to do. It was actually an erstwhile friend of mine whom I'd met all those years going back to America. I won't name him because he's quite well known, but not my favourite person. A bit of a crook, actually. And um, I doubled, in four months, I doubled turnover. I doubled the staff, doubled profit, doubled the share price. Going well. I was fired. The reason I was fired was his wife, or then become wife, became jealous and thought I was going to usurp her husband's position. Right? Because I jokingly said that's what I was going to do. But I, it was a joke. But she took it seriously. I can't mention her either because she's quite well known in public. That's your, your mischievous nature coming in. Yeah. So that, I really came across and I thought, John, shut up sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> you really have to keep wise counsel. Just 
bite your lip. So that cost me about a year and a half because I was sent out to pasture. I didn't really find my feet for a while. Mm. And then I moved into the small cap corporate finance world where I think I've operated since 2001. Uh, 2003, yeah. About the first 15 years. And I've been evangelistic about raising money, funds. I, my strap line was I put the fun into funding because I do make it Both. fun. Because yeah. it's got to be fun, otherwise, why would you do mm. it? It is hard work, but kind of very satisfying, intellectually mm. satisfying. Um, but unfortunately, the regulator and I have not seen eye to eye in the last five years. I won't take it personally because I think it's industry wide. They don't really mm. like the small cap alternative economy. <laughs> Which is a bit of a problem because I'm not sure who else is going to provide the sort of liquidity that I right. try to provide to entrepreneurial, good quality entrepreneurial companies. But I mean, so you've I been doing that, that for you know what, 19 years. Does it? Like? To, uh, to, uh, yeah, 2003 yeah. until 6 of January. Sadly, I put my company into liquidation because I had to throw the towel in. No resource to fight the regulator. Because Sun Tzu said, you know, you've got to pick your fights and you can't pick mm. a fight with regulations. Mm. So that's, I mean, that's a long period and a lot of, of the hard work that you've, you've, you've put into it. So can we sort of track back to, because obviously it's, it's been a successful business to, to be running for that long. So what, how, what were the first, how did it go in the, the initial kind of four or five years? Uh, well, we, we, we started this, this uh, latest situation in 2008. It was right. an existing company. Yeah. We came back to 1990. Mm-hmm. A nice bit of longevity. Um, we jazzed up a bit. We branded it, added some distribution to speak to real, private, you know, good quality investors. And uh, that was 2008. Six months later, Lehman Brothers collapsed. Yeah. The world became different. So it became more different, difficult mm. after then. But we were okay for a number of years. Not, mm. It wasn't the most profitable business ever. Um, and because we were promoting kind of high-risk entrepreneurial stocks, mm. early phase, fledgling uh, yeah. equity plays, it is high-risk and more flounder than prosper. That's just the way of the world, yeah. sadly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we have had a few winners. We might even have a couple of unicorns in the portfolio right. at the right. time. So it's any, a any, any names you can... To, to mention? Um, well, the high-profile names that we financed in the day, which sadly are no longer with us, one was Hardy Amy's PLC, All right, yeah, Dressmakers yeah. and yeah. Queen, Fortune yeah. Savile, a gorgeous company. Mm. But that fell foul ultimately of the Icelandic raiders in the credit crunch. Okay. By, by the Bargold yeah. yeah. group, yeah. if you remember that. And the other high-profile name was Trevor Bayless, bless him, was oh, yeah, 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 yeah. the iconic, yeah. slightly nutty uh, inventor. <laughs> yeah. Not a great Wind up radios, was he? Yeah. Correct, mm-hmm. yeah, well, well done. And he sadly died last year, and the company mm. died last year as well. Right, right, yeah. Um, the so ones what? that are still extant are mostly, I'm not, not, not sure I should name them, but they're, they're, oddly, they're either financial services or ultra-high-tech. Right. of 3D mapping, yeah, yeah. military right. trade for autonomous vehicle usage and so on. So those are the ones that we... And, and a peer-to-peer lending platform based on aircraft leasing. They're sort of oddly, because I'm not technological at all, the two of the three, I think, successes will be high-tech. Yeah. So what changed with the regulator that just made it too, um, too difficult? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, bless you. Yeah. Um, 
Lovely, job. thank you. I've got to be a little bit careful what I say here, if this goes anywhere near the public domain. Um, I'll be, I'll be relatively gracious and say that we had... I mean, if I have a relationship with a bank, with an insurance company, with an auditor, with an accountant, it's a transparent two-way street. Mm. I couldn't have that relationship with the regulator. I can't say, look, I have concerns about XYZ company. There's an issue here I think is malpractice. You know, I'm trying to help you by blowing yeah. whistles. Yeah. But it has to be a two-way street. You can't blame me for not knowing about things I can't know about. Yeah. So, because if I can't pierce a corporate veil and know the background of a particular company, then mm. then I can't. It was a wrong seal issue, wasn't it? You can't know what you can't know or whatever you mm. phrased it. Um, but ultimately, I think the FCA thought that we ran the risk of promoting high-risk um, which is true, high-risk uh, opportunities, investment opportunities, to people who really, they didn't feel were qualified, whereas I've demonstrated quite mm. clearly that all the people to whom we marketed high-risk issues with commensurately high possible returns had been perfectly assessed for appropriateness and, and, and self-certified as being either high net worth or yeah. altruistic. Right, right. So we, I don't know, the chemistry just wasn't there. We, right, it right. didn't go well. Mm. We had a, a visit. The FCA came to tea. It was a nice way of putting what I thought, I have said in writing to them, looked like an inquisition rather than an interview. Right. Um, there was no give and take. There was no dialogue. It was mm. just, and when I said, no, but why do you think that? Why do you think this particular venture is in the collective investment scheme? No, no, we ask the questions. So this is sounding like a bad Monty Python sketch. I'm really not interested in that. Right, right. So, so the, the, I come, to, well on that. come to the end of a, a chapter. Yeah. Um, which, and it must be quite raw, having put all that uh, effort into yeah, it. Yeah, it hurt a lot. Yeah. yeah. A lot, a lot. But you've got to get back and Yeah, settle. absolutely, yeah. What next? Or is it too early well, to say? Well, no, it's not. Um, it's not at all. Bon appétit. Yes, absolutely. It's fantastic. The starters have arrived. Um, so, through latterly, the only things we really financed the last three, two or three years, it all actually started in the Scottish Business Network through a fellow member, I hope you still remember, Stephen McGill, who's a very talented theatre producer. We've financed directly or indirectly some of his productions, which have been in the main, rather successful. Um, that led me on to film, which I also love, all the crazy stuff, immersive theatre more recently, which is slightly more problematic, but it might work. And But actually, I've now returned to my main, my first love, which is books. Mm-hmm. Um, and through a film production company, which is a client and friends, we have acquired a book company, book distribution company, they're not mentioned just yet, but we will store and it's an operation in the West Country it's physical books about three quarters of a million physical books but most of the sales are online and most of the books are actually donated so their cost of sales is negligible so it's quite profitable I think it can be made very profitable and more importantly it can be scaled and so what I want to do is drive the franchising of this model both in this country but particularly overseas. I want to really go nuts internationally, because that's really where I operate the best. Well, we have heartily consumed our main courses, which were delicious, and we're now tucking into a deconstructed banoffee pie, which 
looks similarly tasty. John Newlands, thank you very much. A really interesting and uh, inspiring in, in many ways uh, talk about your adventures around the world. Thank, thank you. you so much, Fraser. It's been a privilege and a pleasure. Thank you. I had such an enjoyable time with John that I invited him to join me for the Calcutta Cup rugby match in Edinburgh the following weekend. Another jolly time ensued, despite a dreadful game and dire weather. As we sat like drowned rats enjoying a post-match dram, we agreed that it was such an extreme Six Nations experience that it would forever prove truly unforgettable. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll be back again in two weeks. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.